You're listening to a message from Gateway Church Geelong. We hope it blesses you. For more information about Gateway, visit gc.org.au. So this morning we're going to come around the Word and, you know, what does it mean, who is Jesus? If I was to ask you that question, who is Jesus? By going on that journey, by going on that pathway, what is it that you would discover about Jesus? Because when we discover Jesus, we learn how to walk with Jesus. We learn who Jesus is. And Jesus, He is arguably the most famous person in history. Over 2 billion people claim to follow Him and that's one third of the world's population. He's represented in art and literature more than any other figure. And Time magazine called him the most influential person who ever lived. But who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Uh, uh, um, uh, I think, uh, uh, I believe he was a person. Um, he is the Son of God. I don't believe Jesus ever really existed. Son of God. If I have to answer that question, I would say God. Uh, he plays on the wing for Chelsea. If you read the Bible, I, I don't think I believe in all of that. Everything. He <laughs> can be any, but for me, he's everything. Who is Jesus? To be honest with you, I don't know. I'm not super religious or anything, so... I mean, he, I guess he's a saviour or something. <laughs> Personally, I think that Jesus was probably a really cool dude who lived a long time ago and gave great advice to people, and it snowballed from there. Amazing answers. I love the one he plays for Chelsea, which is obviously some soccer team and somewhere where Jesus plays on a soccer team. But to answer this question, I really want to invite Joanne Jones um, to the stage because she has an incredible testimony on answering who is Jesus to her. I have to put these on now. The sign of getting old. Thanks, Pastor Nay. So um, a little bit of who Jesus was um, before knowing him. I grew up in a strict Roman Catholic family and attended church every week. So I knew of God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, but I didn't know Jesus. Jesus to me then was someone who lived 2,000 years ago. He was someone who was somehow linked to God and the Holy Spirit and he died on a cross to save us. Now that I know Jesus, to describe him with words feels so limiting because he's limitless, but I'll try. Jesus is my rock, his pure love and acceptance. He has his hand over me in every situation. His spirit fills me with peace and strength and courage. He is God and the Holy Spirit. He is alive and active and present in my everyday. I took a long time to commit my life to Jesus through salvation after our families started coming to church regularly. 
We'd been through an extremely dark season in which I'd lost all that I'd relied on to feel secure and comfortable in the world. I had experienced situations in which I felt physically and emotionally unsafe, vulnerable and subject to judgment with nowhere to seek refuge. Tapping into this vulnerability, the enemy got to work in trying to convince me that I could never be the person God needed me to be to be able to call myself a Christian. So I sat in the in-between space for 12 months. I wanted to become a Christian to experience the joy I could see in other Christians. But I thought I needed to improve myself so I was worthy of becoming a Christian. Over that period of 12 months, Jesus revealed himself to me in many ways. But there are two examples that I feel to share in particular. The first was how he revealed himself to me through the actions of others. The kindness and love that was showed towards me by other Christians could only come from Jesus. The second was a vision that I experienced. In it, Jesus reached out his hand to me through a burst of light and the light felt like love engulfing me. Taking my hand, he pulled me up toward him and as he did that, he said, I've got you. In that moment, I knew that all I was and all that I had overcome was through his love and strength. Being in relationship with Jesus means that I no longer attempt to navigate life on my own. His presence will nudge me forward when I need the courage to step into something. That same presence will tell me to stand still when I need to pause. He's proven his love and protection over me time and again. So I know that I can hand every situation over to him and let go of any fear. And it's summed up beautifully in Psalm 23, 4. Even when your path takes me through the valley of the deepest darkness, fear will never conquer me, for you already have. Your authority is my strength and peace. The comfort of your love takes away my fear. I will never be lonely, for you are near. So this morning I just want to encourage you today that Jesus doesn't want you to wait to feel worthy of his love before you accept him as your saviour, because you're already worthy. The great thing about relationship with Jesus is that we don't have to earn it. He accepts us and wants us to be part of his life just as we are. I love what she said. It's Psalm, in Psalm 23, 4. Fear will never conquer me because your love already has. So powerful. You know, Jesus of Nazareth is believed to have walked these streets around 2,000 years ago. But is there any evidence that he even existed? Well, there's quite a lot of evidence because no, his, no serious historian would deny that Jesus existed. The Roman historians Tacitus and Suetonius wrote about Jesus after the first century Jewish historian Josephus. He described him as Jesus, a doer of wonderful works. And then he expressed his crucifixion and alleged resurrection. So there is evidence 
outside of the New Testament for the existence of Jesus. But most of the evidence comes from within the New Testament. And some people, they might say, well, the New Testament was written such a long time ago. What's the validity of the Scriptures? How do we know what was written down has stayed the same over all these years? Well, the answer is, is that we do know because of a science called textual criticism. And to speak into this is Alistair McGrath. He's a professor of science and religion at Oxford University. Textual criticism examines the number of copies of early texts that we have available to us today. And it looks at the time gap between the original document and the earliest copy that we have. And basically, the more manuscripts we have and the earlier they are, the less doubt there's going to be about the original. So let's compare the Bible to other texts in ancient history, ones that are widely used in schools and universities. Let's look at the Greek historians Herodotus and Thucydides. They both wrote in the 5th century BC. But the earliest copy of their writings that we have dates from AD 900, and that makes a 1,300-year time lapse. And even then, we only have eight copies of these manuscripts in the first place. Or look at the Roman historian Tacitus. There's a thousand-year gap between his book being written and our first manuscript, and we only have 20 copies. Or another classic, Caesar's Gallic War, 950 years between the book being written and our first manuscript copy. And even then, we only have nine or ten copies of these manuscripts. Again, with Livy's famous History of Rome, a 900-year gap between the book being written and our first manuscript, and we only have 20 copies of this. But when it comes to the New Testament, well, it's very different. The New Testament was written between about 40 and 100 AD, and we have manuscript evidence going back as early as 130 AD, and full manuscripts by 350 AD. And we have more than 5,300 Greek manuscripts, 10,000 Latin translations, and 9,300 others. So, you know, we can be pretty confident in the accuracy, the authenticity, and the integrity of the New Testament scriptures that have been passed down to us today. The remarkable thing about the Bible is there's such a short chronological distance between the events being described and our first manuscripts. So in many ways, the Bible scholars are in a very fortunate position of being able to check these things out and finding that they are much more reliable than, for example, some of the alternatives you're looking at. And as a scholar, I am more than happy to say, I trust this, I take it very, very seriously, I rely on it. I love what Professor Alistair McGrath said then. He said that we could be confident in the accuracy, the authenticity and the integrity of the New Testament Scriptures passed down to us today. And as a scholar, he said he trusts it and he relies on it. Professor F.J.A. Hort was one of the greatest scholars in the area of textual criticism. He concluded that in the variety and the fullness of the evidence on which it rests, the text of the New Testament stands absolutely and unapproachably alone amongst ancient prose writings. And no secular historian would disagree with that conclusion. So we know 
from evidence outside and inside the New Testament that Jesus existed. But who was He? Well, we know that He was fully human. He had a human body. He ate, He he drank, He sweated, He got tired. We know that He suffered pain and He had human emotions, love and joy and sadness and human experience. He had the experience of growing up in a family, of education, of having a job and being tempted and experiencing bereavement, suffering and torture and even death. And many today would say, okay, He was was a human being, but He was only a human being. Maybe He was just a good man or a great religious teacher, but Jesus is no more than that. But others would say He was so much more than that. And in particular, we see this by Bono, the lead singer of the band U2. Bono, the lead singer of the band U2, has said, I don't think you're led off easily by saying he was a great thinker or philosopher, because actually he went around saying he was the Messiah. That's why he was crucified. He was crucified because he said he was the Son of God. So he either, in my view, was the Son of God or he was nuts. And I find it hard to accept that all the millions and millions of lives, half the earth for nearly 2,000 years, have felt their lives touched and inspired by some nutter. I don't believe it. He went on to say, I believe that Jesus was the Son of God. So what evidence is there to suggest that Jesus was more than just a great religious teacher? And there are two parts to this argument. The first is, what did Jesus think about Himself? Because if Jesus didn't think He was God, that is the end of their argument. But if He did, that's the second part of the argument. Was He right? So what did Jesus say about Himself? You know, the first piece of evidence that we have is the fact that His teaching was centred on himself. Most great religious teachers point away from themselves and they say, don't look at me, look at Jesus who I'm speaking about, look at God. But Jesus who personified humility in pointing people to God also pointed to Himself. He said, look at me, come to me. And we've talked about this search for meaning and this purpose that we all feel. That's that feeling of spiritual hunger that's inside every single one of us. Like other things, we've tried to fill it, but it doesn't seem to satisfy. And Jesus said these words in the book of John, I am the bread of life. I am the only one who can satisfy that spiritual hunger that is in the inside of your heart and your spirit. We see in Geelong today and in society, addiction is a major problem that is faced. And Jesus said these words in the book of John, if the Son, if He Himself sets you free, Jesus said you will be free indeed. But then there's all the stuff that we carry around inside of us. It's the worry, it's that anxiety, it's, it's guilt and there's fear that we feel at times. But Jesus said these words in the book of Matthew, Come to me, 
all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He said, if you receive me, you receive God. If you welcome me, you welcome God. And if you have seen me in the book of John, it says, you have seen God. Not only did Jesus say, I will give you rest, but He also went up to people and said, your sins are forgiven. You know, forgiveness is is at the heart. It's right at the heart of Christianity. But Jesus went up to people and said, your sins are forgiven. Now, if someone sins against you, you can forgive them, but you can't just walk up to anyone and say, your sins are forgiven. But when Jesus said that, the lawyer said, who can forgive sins but God alone? But Jesus claimed to be able to do that. In fact, Jesus said He came to give His life so that people could be forgiven. And one of the most direct claims that Jesus made is recorded in John's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 30. He said, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Now making a claim like this was seen by the religious leaders as absolute blasphemy. It's tantamount, equivalent in seriousness to a claim to be God. And it was punishable by death by stoning. And people picked up stones to stone Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, I've shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me now? And the people responded, we're not stoning you for any of these, but for blasphemy because you are mere human being. You are mere man claim to be Jesus, the Son of God. I think when you're looking at all the evidence, it's clear that Jesus did make that claim. It is an astonishing claim and claims, such claims need to be tested. And when you think about it, there are only three possibilities. Firstly, it was not true. And Jesus knew perfectly well it wasn't true, in which case, in case He was a fraud. Or it was not true and he simply didn't realise what he was saying. He genuinely thought he was the Son of God, in which case he was deluded. I think we would say he was insane. But logically, there is only one other possibility and that is that it's true. And he was telling the truth that Jesus was the Son of God. C.S. Lewis Cambridge professor, best known as the author of the Chronicles of Narnia, put it like this. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be insane or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God or else insane or something worse. But let us not come up with any patronising nonsense about His being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So was Jesus right in what He said about Himself? 
What evidence is there to support His claims? Well, the first piece of evidence is His teaching. Much of the New Testament records numerous occasions where crowds gathered to hear Jesus teach. On one occasion on a mountain, more than 5,000 people gathered to listen to the teachings of Jesus. And the Sermon on the Mount has been widely acknowledged as one of the greatest teachings of all time. Jesus' teaching has been the foundation of our entire civilization. Many of our laws today were originally founded on Jesus' teaching. And in the book of Mark, Jesus said, Love your neighbour as yourself. In the book of Luke, Jesus says, Do to others as you would have them do to you. And then this totally revolutionary in the book of Matthew, Jesus says, love your enemies. In fact, we have advanced in every field of science and technology. Yet in 2000 years, no one has ever improved on the moral teachings of Jesus Christ. They are the greatest words ever spoken. They are the kind of words you might expect God to speak. Another thing that marked Jesus' life was His love for the marginalised, feeding the hungry and healing the sick. His character has impressed millions who wouldn't call themselves Christians. Time magazine called him the most persistent symbol of purity, selflessness and love in the history of Western humanity. He was the person in whom even his enemies could not find fault and whose friends said he was without sin. It's been said that our character is truly tested when we are under pressure or in pain. And when Jesus was being tortured, He said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Another piece of evidence is Jesus' fulfilment of prophecy. Another piece of evidence is His fulfilment of Old Testament prophecy. No one else in history has had a whole collection of books written about them before they were born. Jesus fulfilled over 300 Old Testament prophecies, 29 of them in a single day. Jesus fulfilled over 300 Old Testament prophecies, 29 of them in a single day. Of course, it could be suggested that he was kind of a clever con man who set out deliberately to deceive people and lie to people. He read all these prophecies and he thought, right, I'm going to go through and I'm going to fulfil them all in my life. But the difficulty with that theory is that, first of all, the sheer number of them and then the fact that, humanly speaking, he had no control over many of these things. They were prophecies about the exact moment of his death the place of His burial and even His birth. Then the final piece of evidence is the conquest of death. The physical resurrection of Jesus is the cornerstone of Christianity. And this is relevant to every single one of us. 
because we're all going to die. It looks absolutely final and it is unless Jesus died and was buried and was then raised to life. In which case death has been conquered. But is, is this just wishful thinking? Do you think that Jesus rose from the dead? Um, rose from the dead. That's what I was taught. I'm not, I, I don't know, I can't say yes or no. Yes, I do believe that Jesus rose from the dead. As a man of science, I think that's pretty impossible. <laughs> I believe so. <laughs> yes, yes I did. I definitely don't think that Jesus rose from the dead. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think he did. <laughs> no, Jesus did not, did not come back from the dead. That's ridiculous. Well, it could be used as a metaphor, right? Could have been a, a drug trip. Yeah, of course it did. I do believe in that, 100%. Just the relationship that I have with him is proof enough. I'm not sure, I haven't looked that up. Um, I don't, I don't know, I don't, I don't know. There are just so many varied answers and I think that we all need to consider as a church that we live in a community of people with so many different responses about Jesus. But let me encourage you this morning, church, is that you know the truth. You know that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. We see responses to impossible that He could have been raised from the dead. Impossible. As a man of science, I cannot believe that. But then you hear responses of, yes, I do. I believe that 100% because revelation of who Jesus is has come into their hearts and revealed Himself. For us this morning, there are four pieces of evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Number one, the first is Jesus' absence from the tomb. No one, has ever satisfactorily explained how Jesus' body was absent from the tomb that first Easter day. People have come up with all different kinds of explanations. For example, maybe the authorities stole the body. In that case, why didn't they produce it when people had started saying He had risen from the dead? The second piece of evidence is after His death, Jesus appeared to His disciples on over 11 different occasions and even to a group of around 500 people. The third piece of evidence is the transformation we see in the disciples. Here was a group of people who were disillusioned and despairing that their leader had died. But then suddenly, these disciples, these men were transformed. They started saying, we've seen Jesus. He's really alive. And then they went around telling everybody. They were prepared to stand up for Jesus, even if it meant the cost of their own lives. And lastly, it is still happening today. There are now over 2.3 billion Christians around the world who speak of the encounter with a risen Jesus Christ. So what are we to make of Jesus? It seems to be clear that Jesus really did claim to be a man whose identity was God. And when we look at the evidence of His teaching, 
His life, His character, His fulfilment of prophecy, His resurrection. To say He was insane or a fraud seems to me to be absurd, illogical and actually unbelievable. On the other hand, it provides the strongest supporting evidence that when Jesus said about Himself was actually true. And when I, when you have looked at the evidence and when we have read the New Testament, we have came to the same conclusion that it is true. Jesus really is the Son of God. And this morning, I want to invite Ben and Shola to the stage to give an incredible, powerful testimony that I heard a couple of weeks ago. Because that's the question we're all answering. That's the question that people are asking, is Jesus real? And if He is, who is Jesus to me? And so I invite you this morning to share, who is Jesus to you? Praise God. Um, Today we're here to testify of the goodness of God. We do believe Jesus is alive. Um, He has shown Himself faithful in our lives so many occasions. Today we're sharing um, regarding the events around the birth of my first child. Um, When I was 23 weeks pregnant, um, I did develop um, complications. So I was referred to the Royal Women's Hospital. And um, they tried to keep the baby in, but a week later they said um, they had to bring her out. And um, that was a very scary one because they... The doctors had told us different complications that could arise from that. But um, we turned to God. We had friends praying for us, um, churches praying for us. At 24 weeks, my daughter was delivered. And um, um, then they had to intubate her for her breathing. And then the doctors told us with the tubes, it does, um, the longer it stayed in her, um, there could be complications, lifelong complications with her breathing and all that. So at 19 days, which was 31st of December that year, um, the doctor called us and said they were going to bring out the tubes. He said he believed she was going to, they were going to put her on another type of breathing support. And um, he believed by morning, when, by morning she would be back on the tubes. But we told him, we said, no, she's not going to go back on the tubes. And it was like, um, no, he told the nurses to prepare and all that. So they had the tubes ready to go because they believed she wasn't going to um, be able to cope with the new ones. So on the 31st of December, we held hands. We prayed to God that and believed she wasn't going to go back on the tubes. Um, to God be the glory. By the time the doctor came in the morning... Um, she didn't have to use the tubes. Um, she was able to cope, which for him was strange. God did it. The second one was um, regarding her eyes. So there's this ROP that preemie babies get. Um, the ROP, if not treated, can lead to blindness. Um, so they had told us she had the ROP. And um, they had to monitor it. But it gets to a st- certain stage where they have to operate the eyes. If they operate the eyes, then she would, they, she would, they, the child will lose side vision. They will only be able to see, you know, have forward vision. So then the pediatrician told us that the ophthalmologists, um, you know, they, they were checking. So every week they checked. 
they said it was getting worse. And, and then the pediatrician would say, Shola, she's going to need surgery. And we told him, we said no, we've prayed, and we believe she's not going to have surgery. So every week they checked, and then it got worse. And then it got to a stage they needed to operate. So then um, they had started making preparations to transfer her to Royal Children's Hospital. And then, you know, and then the uh, pediatrician told me that, I know you've prayed, I know you're a Christian, but this is the result, she has to be operated. So they started making the preparations, and the ophthalmologist, you know, he was like, just the final check before they, they, they transport her. And he checked, and it had changed. Yeah. To God be the glory. Um, so many, so many things God did for us while we're in hospital. Um, but one of the things I heard God say, I know in the beginning, because I waited about seven years, in the beginning, you know, with all the confusion, everything, I know I heard God tell me that he is the God who takes care of babies in the womb. He said he was going to take care of her outside the womb. You know, um, six months prior to that, we had a, a friend who had a six month, uh, 24-week baby as well. And, you know, lots of complications, hospital in and out and all that. And, you know, when we received that from God saying he was going to take care of her even outside the womb, we trusted him. Um, there were so many things we saw with even older kids, 27-week babies, 30 weeks, you know, complications here and there. But we thank God because by the time, because even some babies had to be discharged with oxygen. By the time we went home with our baby, there was no oxygen, no medications except iron supplements. And we went home with a healthy baby. She did have a hearing loss on one ear, but, you know, in all things, we do give God the glory. Praise God. Uh, it was a journey. Um, they were, uh, she was actually a twin. The other twin died 23 weeks. So she survived. And um, um, four months. Um, we, we saw what was happening at the beginning. But God uh, told us to see what would happen at the end to try and see what the outcome will be. And, and, and that was what actually drove our faith in him and trusting him. We had no family members around. They just believed that God was going to see us through. And um, yeah, and um, yeah, he's been faithful. And he's real. He's definitely real. Just trust him. The Bible says that death and life, they are in the power of the tongue. And those who, who, who believe in, in, in that fruit will eat that fruit. So it is very important, whatever you go through, what you say at that point, it matters a lot. Even to our children, what we say at a point matters a lot. Thank you. I love what the words that you spoke. You said, God spoke to me and said that he is the one who takes care of babies inside the womb. He can take care of her outside the womb. We put all our trust in him and God fulfilled his promises. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and life in all its fullness. It really is true that God has revealed himself in his son, Jesus. Jesus really is who he claimed to be. Jesus really did rise from the dead. And there is hope beyond this life. There is hope 
for this life right now. In an encounter with Jesus, we find life and life in all its fullness. Romans 15, 4 says this, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Romans 10, 13 says these words, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I want us just to take a moment with the truth that we have heard today. And can we take a moment to reflect, what does this all mean for you and for me? Who is Jesus? Because every single time I've asked that question of who is Jesus? whether it be not knowing Him and asking Jesus, who are you? Whether it be asking who you are in this obstacle, who you are in this challenge, who you are in this season right now. Jesus has always revealed Himself to me and Jesus wants to reveal Himself to you because if anybody can answer who is Jesus and that question, I know by the truth of God, it is Jesus Himself who will make Himself known and real to you. So can we take a moment, just have a time of reflection and ask that question, who is Jesus? What a, what a beautiful question to ask, who is Jesus? You know, for, for those of you who are in this, this room this morning, you're like, I, I know who Jesus is. I know who he is to me personally. I, I want to encourage you. Your, your answer to that has some significant outcomes from where your life goes, how your family becomes to know Jesus. I, I want to encourage you. Just take heart in what your answer is to that. If your answer is, he's, he's my saviour. He's the one who loved me. Even before I was born, he, God loved me. He saw me. This morning, if you're in this place and you don't know Jesus personally yet, this is, this is your moment this morning to have that opportunity. It's as simple as, as the scripture on the screen says, for anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a moment of saying, yeah, you know, I, I can't do this by myself. I can't change my life. I can't make myself better. I can't make myself feel better about myself. It's a story that's true for many of us in this place. We tried. (laughs) But we just kept coming up short. There's only one. There's but one. You can fulfill that hole in our heart. Why don't we just close our eyes for a moment? If you're in this space this morning and you, you don't know Jesus personally, you could be watching online this morning, this is this is your moment. This is your moment. So yeah, I I need him. I need I need to be forgiven of my sins. I need to know God personally. I want to have a relationship with God. So just with everyone's eyes closed this morning, I'm going to invite, if that's you, I need to call on the name of the Lord. I'm going to invite all of us to pray a prayer, but this prayer is for you to pray this morning. This is you calling on the name of Jesus to know God's love and God's forgiveness and God's freedom and God's life. Church, can you pray this prayer with me? Dear God, I thank you that you sent Jesus. I believe that he died on the cross, was buried, and rose again on the third day 
for the forgiveness of my sins. Today, God, I'm calling on the name of Jesus. Forgive me of my sins. I surrender my life to you. From this day on, I choose to follow you and be in relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that that message was a blessing to you. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, first of all, congratulations. We think that that is incredible. And secondly, if you go to gc.org.au forward slash first steps, our team has put together some resources as well as there's some information there for how you can get in contact with one of our pastors because we'd love to encourage you and connect you into the life of the church.